Welcome to Sparrow Health Clinical Insights, where we cover the latest topics in the world of mental health and substance use disorder. We hope that this program will help you in your growth and help guide us toward achieving our mission of saving lives, instilling hope, and restoring relationships. And now, here is your host, Senior Vice President of Clinical Services, David Hayden. Hello, I'm David Hayden, your host, and welcome back to another podcast episode of Spiro Clinical Insights, where we will address the biggest questions and topics in the clinical world of mental health and substance use disorders. Today, we'll have our first of two discussions on the sad truth of depression and what many of you listening are asking to better understand the relationship between depression and substance use disorders. And that leads me to our guest who's going to help us today, Amanda Lay, a regional clinical manager for Spiro Health serving Central and Eastern Kentucky. Amanda, welcome and thanks for being on the episode. Yeah, hey David, thank you for having me. So let's get to know you a little bit. You're a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, Tell us why you chose the field of of social work. Yeah, um, I think that I chose this field because I've always wanted to be in a helping profession, Um, but more on a personal level, I actually had a um, licensed clinical social worker worked with me when I was a teenager and really helped me kind of get through some um, anxiety and, and stuff like that at a, at a young age and so it really inspired me to want to give back and do the same thing. Yeah, great. So you, you, you experienced what the, the benefits were and wanted to mm-hmm. give that back to other people. That's great. And you live in Harrodsburg with your family? Yes, yes yeah. I do. I, I live with my um, husband and my three-year-old daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about what you like to do for fun. What's something fun about Amanda? Oh, okay. Well, um, I really enjoy spending time with my family. Um, when I'm not working, I spend time with my husband and my daughter. And then I have also a close-knit extended family. So um, my sisters, uh, my cousins, myself, we all like to get together pretty often and, and hang out and I think with summer coming around, we really enjoy being at the pool, the lake, really anything with water. That's that we enjoy doing that. So great. Well, good. Well, let's go on and start. Um, as you know, Amanda, uh, depression is very common among individuals with substance use disorders uh, and people that have, that abuse drugs and alcohol, and that can also trigger, intensify any feelings of loneliness and sadness and uh, hopelessness that is often associated with depression. There, there's a lot of commonality there. And while preparing for this, I read that about a third of the people with a substance use disorder also experience some depression in recovery. So tell us a little about what, what you've seen and, and what your experience has been in helping people with substance use disorders that may also have depression. Yeah. Yeah, so I think many elements of depression overlap with signs of addiction. Um, so when our patients begin treatment, we often hear they've given up Um, activities or hobbies, Um, they experience issues with their personal relationships, and they also tend to isolate themselves from people that they were once very close to. And I think you see um, all these things in both depression and addiction. Yeah. So some of the things that individuals with substance disorders experience are very similar to what someone with depression would experience, and and some people may say one may cause the other or influence the other. So. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the common symptoms of depression? What, what would people notice? Yeah, um, I think you would see um, a, loss of, a loss of interest in work, hobbies, you know, personal goals. Um, also just feeling useless, hopeless. Um, irritability can be um, something that they will, in, I 
guess, encounter as well, just trouble concentrating, um, problems sleeping, changes in their appetite, um, weight, just different things. So that's, that's really interesting, Amanda. Tell, tell us about these symptoms of depression that patients may have and bring to treatment. What impact does that have on their, um, the care that they may receive or the, the plan that may, de- may be developed for them? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, many of the symptoms of depression, um, as human beings, we can look at those and we can think that, you know, this, um, you know, this irritability or this loss um, or lack of motivation um, is a reflection on the patient and where they want to be in treatment and how motivated they are for their recovery, uh, when in reality, it can, it's something much deeper than that. Yeah, so they, have, they bring these complications mm-hmm. in with them to treatment. And oftentimes we've seen that the provider sees that as, oh, well, they're not wanting it. They, they're not motivated to be here. They're not ready. And really what you're saying is it could be some underlying condition of depression that, that causes them to, to present differently and have these roadblocks and, and yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I encourage all you know counselors just through clinical review when they hear the things come up just to assess the patient and just say, like, okay, is this really a, a lack of motivation for treatment or is this something else? Um, yeah. So I think that's very important for both um, providers, counselors, just really all teammates. Yeah, so having that that more detailed assessment allows people to determine what other risk this patient has for, for recovery, that it's not gonna be as smooth as someone who comes in and you know is, just has a substance use disorder. Right. There's, there's a, I guess, mitigating factors there yes. that can cause yeah. that. So, so one of the things I've also found that, that's really interesting is, is that a lot of that depression that our patients experience um, is because of the, the, the lifestyle that they're, that they're changing, um, that they're losing, I guess. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I think that um, when a person just begins their recovery journey, um, they go through a period of grieving, I guess, a loss of personal identity. Um, so they often have to change really everything about their lifestyle, their people, places, things, um, just everything that occupied their life previously. I think back to when I was actually directly providing services and one question I would ask patients a lot are, you know, what are some of your hobbies? What are things that you enjoy doing? And I think really most most commonly I receive the answer of, you know, I really don't know. Um, I'm not really sure what I enjoy doing. You know, I think youth consumed their life for so mm-hmm. long and it took up so much time. Um, they weren't sure if they still enjoyed the things they used to or um, nothing really brought them joy any longer. And so um, I think that they really just lose their sense of self. Yeah, so it's like the when they're in the midst of their addiction, their life revolves around finding the drug, using the drug, recovering from the drug, and just that cycle. And when they enter treatment, that stuff goes away, but then they're stuck with, okay, what do I do? What's my life about now? Yeah. And I think that one of the things that, that doesn't always get mentioned is they do develop relationships through mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Other people that are using, and they're, they're not healthy relationships all the time, mm-hmm. but they, they serve a purpose for them and, and they have a role in that, that lifestyle. And I think part of what you're saying is when, when they come into treatment and that all stops, then they're stuck with like, well, who am I? What do mm-hmm. I do with my time now? What do I do with my day? Is that, mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're saying, what, what yeah. you think they experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a huge part of it. And even kind of digging deeper into those relationships, I mean, there's many times that people, you know, start their recovery journey and they think, 
what I used to enjoy was spending time with my daughter or my family. But, you know, since then I've lost custody of my daughter or um, my spouse has left me or my parents have, you know, cut me off. And so these things that I used to have connection with, I no longer do. Yeah, and you think about that as a, um, as a parent, we're both parents, mm-hmm. and you think about a lot of our patients who um, are told a lot of times, we hear it a lot, you just need to better be a better parent for your child, and, and they don't know how to do that. Right. And then I think that can also contribute to the depression. Mm-hmm. It's like, everybody wants me to be this, yeah. I want to be it, but I don't know how to do it. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so they're bringing all of that, that in with them. So um, that, that's a really good understanding of, of the complicating factors that they bring in. So tell us a little bit about how... How do you go about diagnosing the depression? How do you know if it's truly a, a clinical um, depression or it's related to all of the, this other stuff that we've talked about? What's that process like? Yeah, I think there's a couple different ways um, that you can diagnose depression. Um, one, a medical provider can complete a physical exam to see if there's any um, underlying health conditions that could be linked to the patient's depression. Um, you know, this could really include a range of tests um, just to really get a better understanding of the individual's overall health. Um, blood tests um, can also be done to eliminate a variety of underlying health conditions. Um, a lot of these conditions can contribute to symptoms of depression. Um, and then, you know, doctors or mental health professionals um, can conduct um, biopsychosocial assessments to learn about the symptoms. Kind of what we were talking about, the thoughts, the feelings, um, the patient, family history, related behaviorals, and um, just the information provided in that evaluation helps to form a proper diagnosis. So as a social worker, when you're seeing the patient first and, and you're having that conversation with them and you're taking that history and you're learning you know, what, what that patient is bringing with them to care, and, and you said you're asking about their hobbies and things mm-hmm. like that. So you kind of think well, there may be something there. Doing those physical exam and the blood test, all kind of stuff, helps rule other things out. Is that that's what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it helps determine, you know, is there something really there? All right. So there's we talked about there's multiple ways to determine if someone has depression and what those symptoms look like and and how that patient might present. So let's shift now, man, and talk about some of the as a as a social worker and as a a counselor, what are some of the things you do to, to treat someone who has depression? What are the options available? I think the first thing you want to do is really, um, you know, form that connection with the patient, you know, build that rapport with the patient, um, and that's where that trust is going to come in. So once you have that connection with them, then you can lead more into um, just helping the, the patient understand the, the nature of depression. Um, teaching them that recovery from depression and addiction are it's poss- possible and that reinforcing that depression um, and addiction are treatable conditions that people with substance abuse and mental health can and do get better from. Yeah. Um, it just takes time. Yeah. It just takes patience. Absolutely. And, and I think sometimes people, um, I know when I was early on in the, uh, as a counselor, you know, you you see things and you see the patient experience and what they're bringing and, and you want them to get there, um, but they go at their own pace sometimes. Yeah. They, they, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's their recovery journey, it's not mine. Right. And, and I think sometimes um, I forget that about being patient with mm-hmm. them and helping them um, walk that, um, that journey for themselves. So, so what are some of the things that you would have patients do mm-hmm. as they're walking this journey to, to help um, improve their motivation or improve their 
their recovery. Yeah, I think something that you have to do is really walk alongside them um, while they're sitting you know, realistic and obtainable goals. So with a person um, suffering from depression, um, they may find daily tasks just very overwhelming. Um, so just the task of getting out of the bed in the morning and, and, and get going and just starting starting your day, it, it seems overwhelming to them. So just setting that small goal um, of, hey, get up in the morning and make your bed. And if you do this every day, I think what you see um, is a person's self-esteem, um, you know, rising and then also just them becoming, you know, feeling more of a sense of achievement. Mm -hmm. And so from that point, when you're patient with that and, you know, patient with that process, you build on top of that and, and you build, you know, larger goals um, from that point. So I think yeah. that that's that's one key. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as they're, as they're getting up in the morning and making their bed and, and just preparing for the day and, and getting going, I, I, I think that's, that's a really interesting thing that you say that that gets them going. One of the things I think that that's important to understand is that they still may be doing some things that mm -hmm. that um, their care provider may see as, as not healthy. They're not, because they may still be engaging in some unsafe behaviors or things like that, that, that it's a process. Yeah. It, they're not gonna get there overnight. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but it's kinda like celebrating those small victories Absolutely. that they have and, and, and having them build on, 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 on that. So what are some other things that, um, you know, that help, you know, help them down that path? Yeah, and just encouraging to spend time with people, um, you know, just with loved ones, people that support them, um, you know, encouraging them to avoid isolation. Um, and then something else I think that's very important is postponing just making major decisions. Um, so a person um, with depression tends to um, think that a situation will turn out negatively or, or badly, and so I think that um, just think about this example, if you know you, you were suffering from depression and you were offered a promotion, you may not take that promotion because you may think, oh, I'm gonna fail at that new role. Um, so I think just encouraging them to you know postpone those major decisions, you know, avoid isolation, just surround themselves by people that, that really care and love for them is, yeah. is important. I think that's where you talked earlier about having that connection, that rapport with the patient. Mm -hmm. That's where having that really strong connection helps so you're, you're able to, to have those conversations. Because I imagine those are tough conversations yeah. with people. They, they want to do better and show people they're doing better, but they, they may not be really ready is, is yeah. kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, I think that that's what it goes back to always. You know, we, we always circle back around to connections and relationships with um, with people, and I think that trust is what, what you're talking about, and I think that that's so important too. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, thank you, Amanda. This has been really helpful. And as we wrap up, uh, what's some final advice? What's some things that, that uh, you want uh, our teammates or any people that are working with uh, individuals with substance use disorders and, and depression to take from this? Yeah, I think there are two main uh, points I want teammates to really take, um, take away from this. And, and that first point would be to watch your assumptions. So if you notice a patient um, in the lobby that's irritable or they're showing up late or um, maybe a patient that's not participating um, as much in group, don't just assume um, that it's for lack of motivation or just lack of caring about their recovery because I don't think most times that is the case. Um, and then I think the second point is just be patient. Um, you know, we should really be walking alongside our patients um, and this, just remember that this is their journey, it's not ours. So just be patient and, you know, not always assume 
Yeah, that's great advice. I think that's um, exactly what we want people to take from this. So, so thank you again for being a guest on Spiro Clinical Insights. I hope you had fun. I'm sure we'll have you back on future episodes. Um, for all the listeners, look for part two of the sad truth of depression where we discuss uh, possible potential medical treatments for depression. Uh, that's coming soon. Uh, thank you. This is David Hayden, your host and Senior Vice President of Clinical Services. Thank you for listening and remember to be kind, consistent, and predictable to all those patients that we serve every single day. Take care. Thanks for joining us for Sparrow Health Clinical Insights. Join us next time as we continue to talk about topics that help guide us toward achieving our mission of saving lives, instilling hope, and restoring relationships.